always hope. song for you this morning that I uh, trust will open your hearts um, to what God has for us. Uh, Mahalia Jackson singing Burn the Ships. <laughs> no, just, <laughs> just kidding. I can't get off of Mahalia Jackson. You know, sometime I'm going to get to play Mahalia Jackson. But um, no. one, of, one of the um, uh, truths of being able to move forward um, in our lives is to be able to defeat uh, the agreement that the enemy wants us to make that our past is our future. And we have got to defeat that. 
because we all have things in our past that we are ashamed of, that we have repented of numerous times, uh, and the enemy keeps bringing up to us, that's not going away. We know who you are because of what you did last night, last week, last year, a time long, long time ago. And I love this song that I want to offer you this morning. Uh, and I have to uh, um, uh, be honest that Roan is the one who turned me on to this. It's, it's painful giving him credit, you know. It's painful. Anything but Mahalia Jackson. <laughs> She's never going to let me live Mahalia Jackson and Ed Sullivan down. That's, uh, that, that'll go down in infamy. But um, let me read to you. Uh, the words are there on the back of your uh, uh, handout. Uh, just uh, um, the first part of the song. And, and again, the, the, the beauty of the song is uh, the idea of the ship is your past. How did we get here? All cast away on a lonely shore? I can see in your eyes, dear. It's hard to take for a moment more, we've got to. Burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye. Step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon our heartache, yay. So light a match, leave the past, burn the ships and don't you look back. May you hear the voice of God.
Your past is not your future. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, let's dig in. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Marine Jesus, he is with you always, just like your rifle. Josh Robles uh, shared his story with us uh, when we started a couple weeks ago, and Josh and I were sitting together, and Josh, as he shared with us, uh, indicated just how much he had been passive so much of his life. And I said to him, you need a Marine Jesus. And he said, I do. I thought he would be confused by that crazy metaphor. I'd never said that to anybody. It just popped into my head. Marine Jesus. He identified with it. And that's why we're doing the series, because of my friend Josh. Simplify, always faithful. To be a Marine means a daily commitment to live up to the highest standards. Being a Marine means to be ever accountable to the warrior ethos, which adheres to these fundamental truths. Character counts. Honesty is incorruptible, and integrity means everything. We need our Christian commitment to be more Marine-like than what our culture has made Christian men to be. Jesus modeled a warrior-like character. When we discover his true character, we uncover the real Jesus. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. This study will help us be the men God designed us to be, men willing to initiate, take responsibility, and to fight for a cause greater than ourselves, Simbify. Guys, this morning, um, I've asked Forrest um, to share a little bit of his story. Forrest, if you'll come up. Uh, Forrest, uh, I have great envy for Forrest because he has military uh, background. One of my greatest regrets is I did not serve in the military. I was a basketball player, though. I'm very proud of that. Uh, you would have been Gomer Pyle. <laughs> I would have been Gomer Pyle. That's right. Uh, but uh, Forrest uh, is one of our um, uh, leadership team members. Of course, uh, um, works here at C Spire and a great father and uh, husband uh, to his family. And uh, he is a um, Marine, I want him to share his story. Boris? Thank you. Um, Hello. Yeah, um, Phil asked me this morning to share a little bit about the process of becoming a Marine or what's more commonly known as boot camp. And I'll have to, let me issue a couple of disclaimers up front. Um, one is my experience as a Marine was as an officer. So my boot camp was officer candidate school, which is a little different than enlisted boot camp, but they're both generally the same. So that disclaimer. And secondly, I graduated from OCS 38 years ago. So things may have changed a little bit since then, but I'm gonna share with you my experience and, and my knowledge. Um, officers, officer candidates go through OCS at Quantico, Virginia. Uh, enlisted Marines go through boot camp at either Paris Island, South Carolina, or San Diego, California, depending on whether they were recruited east or west of the Mississippi River. Um, if you're an officer candidate, you're just called a candidate. 
or a candy date. Um, and if you're a drill instructor, you got to say that with a little bit of disdain in your voice. Um, and if you're an enlisted um, a boot, you're a recruit. Um, and there's nothing lower than a recruit, except for, as a young PFC explained to me and my other uh, officer candidates, uh, officer candidates only thing lower than a recruit. And that's because a recruit is going to be turned into a Marine, even if he has to be recycled through boot camp a couple of times. Whereas an officer candidate may not make it through the strenuous uh, review process to become an officer of Marines. So um, there's nothing lower than a candidate. But generally, training for both officers and for enlisted Marines is, is about the same. The subject matter and the basic training is, is pretty much the same. Um, both are about 12 weeks long, uh, broken into three, four week phases. Um, the first phase is, is probably the toughest because that's where you're being torn down. You're being um, really broken down both physically and mentally. Uh, they're trying to get rid of all the bad civilian habits that you've got. Um, and then the intent is to build you up. Um, not as individuals, but as a cohesive unit that follows and abides by strict Marine Corps standards. And during that first uh, phase, they're going to learn things like hygiene, um, let's see, uh, Marine Corps history. They're going to uh, study a close order um, drill. They're going to study the chain of command, code of conduct, uh, swim qualification. They're going to go through uh, martial arts, and then there's going to be just a time time of PT or physical training. And then phase two is very similar. Uh, a lot of the continuing the same thing from phase one, but they'll also have their initial um, physical fitness test, and they'll also go to the rifle range for uh, rifle qualification. And then phase three um, really is kind of a culmination. They'll have their final physical fitness test. Do close order drill competition, and then everything gets wrapped up with something called the crucible. Uh, the crucible is a 54-hour, um, basically stress test. It, it tests the young recruits uh, in how they're going to operate as a team under stress. Um, and during that 54 hours, they'll get a total of eight hours sleep. They'll um, get a total of two and a half MREs that they have to decide how they're going to how and when they're going to eat, um, and they'll march a total of about 40 miles during the course of that 54-hour period. Um, day one will start about 3 a.m. in the morning, and they'll march for six miles. Then they'll take a break, and they'll go through two four-hour sessions of just problem solving. They'll break up into small four or five group of five-person fire teams, and they'll be given uh, different types of obstacles and challenges, and they have to figure out together uh, how to tackle those challenges. And then they'll, after that, they'll do a five mile march and then they'll get four hours sleep. In the beginning of the second day, we'll start with two more four hour uh, problem solving sessions. Uh, then later that night, they'll have a night infiltration course and then they'll get four more hours of sleep. And then the morning of the third day, we'll end with a nine mile march and they'll, they'll march back to main side. And they'll, they'll finish up that march at a kind of a half-sized replica of the Iwo Jima Memorial. The color guard will raise the flag. The chaplain will read a prayer specifically for the recruits. Uh, the company first sergeant will address the, the recruits. And then they'll break up. And the drill instructors will give them uh, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, which is the Marine Corps uh, insignia. And each DI will shake the Marine's hand and they'll call a Marine for the first time. Um, <clears throat> Marine Corps is very intentional about its training. Uh, there's a lot of tradition involved. And the purpose and intent is to make sure that each succeeding um, generation of Marines lives up to the high standards of the previous generations. <clears throat> so what does it mean to apply or to live the standards of being a Marine to the Christian walk of being a follower of Christ. We know when you come out of boot camp, 
or you come through boot camp, you find out a lot of things about yourself, things that you wouldn't have known any other way. You find out that you're capable of doing a whole lot more physically and mentally than you thought you could. Um, and then in doing so, the view of the proud is not just some kind of slogan, it's something you believe because you are the view of the proud. You know you've been tested and you've passed the test. You come out of that with a pride in that, the view of the proud. Um, but that pride doesn't come from what, my pride didn't come from anything I accomplished after I was able to wear that capable of an anchor. Our pride comes from the common bond of the Marines with, with the examples and the sacrifices made by Marines throughout history. And in, in a way, that's, um, that, that's why I'm proud to wear the title of Christian. Because that title doesn't come from anything I did to earn or deserve it. That title comes from the example set and from the sacrifices made by Jesus Christ. Um, you know, when Marines come through the crucible and they graduate from boot camp, um, they have been set apart. They know that they are special. They have been set apart as U.S. Marines, have been set apart to do something special for our country. And really, the Christian walk should be similar for us. As Christians, we've been set apart. We've been set apart to do something special for God. Um, but that Christian walk doesn't come uh, without trial, without challenges without difficulties. Um, but when we come out the other side of those trials, challenges, and difficulties, with God's help, we come out more confident. We know that we've been tested and we know that we've passed the test. Um, you know, throughout history, Marines have done all kinds of heroic heroic uh, activities or, or, or um, made incredible sacrifices. It was because of the Marine on each side of it. Um, it was because he had a faith that no Marine was going to be left behind. And so how do they have that faith? Well, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. It's like he's confident that he's one of the few in the crowd. He's also confident in the faithfulness of that Marine beside him. Um, and just like that, we as Christians should, should be prepared and willing to die for what we believe. And if we're willing to die for that, then we should surround ourselves with other men that are like-minded. We should surround ourselves with men that are willing to go into battle with us. We should yeah. surround ourselves with men that we're willing to sacrifice for and that we know are willing to sacrifice for us. Um, and, and that's really the only way we can be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and, uh, act like men, and be strong. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13 is not just some kind of a slogan. It's a confidence. Yeah. It's a confidence that comes with surrounding ourselves with God, with other Christian men, well, this uh, this thing we call the Christian life. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Forrest. Mm -hmm. Guys, I I truly believe that when Jesus said to those fishermen and the tax collector and uh, other guys that he had more of the intention of training them like Marines than inviting them to a Sunday school class. Amen. That it was gonna be a rigorous three year process. <clears throat> and obviously there was at one point, um, Jesus asked them, are you gonna leave? Are you gonna quit? And what did Peter say? Where should we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Thank you for us. Mm -hmm. So guys, this morning. I, I didn't realize that when I got married, I became a Marine. <laughs> was Somehow the drill sergeant showed up in your home. Huh? There's a lot of things in there that I heard. You get torn down and built back up. Amen. <laughs> Gonna make a man out of you yet. The crucible. I mean, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I, I, I'm a Marine, by God. <laughs> Amen. 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 I did hear some disturbing news this week, too, Phil. Did you? I, I did. What did you hear? You know, I, I, I made reference to the Jesus and his therapy support animal. 
And there's rumor that the uh, little blue-haired old ladies, uh, the knitting prayer circle at a local church is mounting a protest. And they're mean. It's going to be worse than Antifa. So, Mr. Jimmy, I'm sorry. They, I, they're going to be protesting out in front of ceasefire because of, I said, I disparaged nice, sweet Jesus in his therapy lamp. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going you to watch that. Antifa. You got to watch that. Yes. Yeah. I got you. I got you. So, guys, this morning, um, we want to look at um, a segment in Jesus's life that I would call fierce intention. That Jesus was clear about his mission. Um, are you? Are we? Pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Three questions. Do you believe that you're under attack, that you are being hunted by the enemy? Do you really believe that? Respond to that. Be honest. Do you really believe, or do you just believe that marriage is hard? And she doesn't understand me, poor baby. Raising children is really hard. I didn't realize being a daddy would be this challenging. And you know that boss I've got, he just doesn't, he doesn't get it. I should have gotten that promotion last year. How about if all the people and all the circumstances in your life is somehow being used by God, allowed to be manipulated in the hands of Satan only by the order of God in order to grow you up and make you more like Marine Jesus, than not. How about that? How about that? I don't believe there is a person or a circumstances in your life or mine that is outside the hand of God, the will of God. I believe that. We call that sovereignty. And one of the critical truths mm -hmm. of the Christian faith, if you're going to make it long term, is to understand what the sovereignty of God means. In simple East Tennessee language, it means he's not on vacation. He doesn't sleep, and there's nothing that touches your life that he somehow does not allow and intends to use it for your good and not to be used by evil in the hands of the enemy. Now, I could cite... What, what That little paragraph that I just shared, I can cite verse after verse after verse after verse that is in Scripture that backs that up. But do you believe that? You're being hunted. You didn't wear your combat boots in here this morning. I didn't even wear socks. <laughs> Matches your underwear. Matches my <laughs> TMI, TMI, you know, I put him up front. I have no control over this, you know, you have nothing. I feel like I'm, I'm like the guy that's working the dummy over here on the right, you know, I can't control what he's I'm saying. I'm just checking you know? to see if these guys are awake. That's all. Yeah. I understand, I understand. What was I thinking, you know? Uh, but yeah, um, we're being hunted, gentlemen. We are in a war. Don't forget that. You know, what? I, I, I yep. think, Phil, it's, um, you know, these circumstances that we go through, um, and, and certainly uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Um, it, 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 those are the things that shape us and, and mold us that God uses uh, to build the character of Christ-likeness in mm. us. Yeah. And, and that's... That's really his only goal for all of us, right? Uh, oftentimes we think that somehow God's goal is just that, you know, A plus B equals C. And, and if I do this, then and I pray this and do this, then I'm going to get, you know, the good life. Well, certainly uh, the reality of Scripture and the Bible stories 
uh, it wasn't the good life. It was the hard life. Jesus promised us that. He told us that, that we are going to have trouble. We will suffer. But yet somehow we just want comfort and easiness in a way. In a big way. Absolutely. <clears throat> Question number two. Put your pen to paper. How do you start your day? Live your life. Face your fears that demonstrate your serious, intentional, if you will, about your life. Intentionality, deliberate. How do you do that? What do you do? Get up every morning and fall on your knees. How about that? Begin each morning on your knees. Begin each morning journaling. God, I'm ready for my orders for today. I receive your voice into my heart. I want to put the voice of the enemy into silence. I want to learn more. I want to be trained. I don't know how to talk to my wife, so I'm going to start going to counseling and learn. What do you do intentionally? I think the it's so important. Just you know, the way we start our day. I mean, it, boy, it's just you know those days when we just roll out of bed and hit the ground running. Uh, man, I know for me, uh, it just it my day's off if I do that. Um, and I I love my quiet time in the morning. Um, I wake up. I usually get up about six. Eva. She doesn't wake up till about, she gets up about 7.30. So I've got this hour and a half of my day where it's like, holy cow, I get to kind of do what I want to do. Um, uh, I, my ringtone for her, and, and she is fully aware of this, and she's okay if I share this, but my ringtone for her is uh, start me up. The Rolling Stone, Because right? I don't know about your wife, but it, it's like, I don't get those phone calls where she's saying, you know, honey, hey, how are you doing? I, I was just thinking about you. How's your day going? Uh, of course, we work together. So, uh, but even back in the day, I mean, it's usually, you know, hey, we need to do this. I need you to do this. Da, da, da. And it's like, whew, my quiet time in the morning, I just get to sit there and stare at the wall if I want to, but it's quiet time. Uh, man, I, I think this idea of just mindfulness, uh, which is really contemplative prayer, uh, meditation that Jesus talked about, mm -hmm. to be able to just kind of quiet your mind mm -hmm. and, and not necessarily even praying, right? Mm -hmm. To get quiet, you might actually hear the voice of God. God might actually speak. Yeah. I believe he speaks. Do you believe that? I've heard the voice of God, not audibly, but I hear him when I read his word. I hear him when I sit in the quiet. I hear him in the wind. Uh, I hear him when I'm here with you. Third question. When do you be angry but do not sin? When is anger appropriate? Can you tell good anger from bad anger? Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry. Now, I grew up uh, believing that anger was bad. LMA taught me clearly, be nice. Don't, don't be angry. Dude, that's like tying both arms behind your back and go to a gunfight. And, and honestly, that is a crazy maker. So I'm telling you, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry. So what, what do you be angry about in an appropriate way? Think about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. Write that down. Where is your anger appropriately being directed today? What, what really makes you angry? 
in a righteous, godly way. Write it down. I would offer you a hint as you've written down. Scripture is very clear about us considering four categories of people. The widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. The widow is anybody that's rejected by love. Metaphorically, um, it's, it's anybody in a rejection. Obviously, literally, widows are to be taken care of. But it's much broader than just literally taking care of the widow. It's those without love being rejected. The orphan, again, literally take care of orphans. But how about the fatherless, the lonely? Men growing up without fathers, even if their fathers are alive, emotionally, never receiving the blessing, emotionally never being encouraged, emotionally never hearing the voice of God, and there's just silence, and you're trying to interpret uh, what dad really felt about me. Hmm. I, I hear it all the time. Ron hears it all the time. Well, I know dad loved me, but he never spoke into my life. Dude, that is a, that's a wound. Oh, yeah. Oftentimes, you know, a guy will say to me, my dad never told me, that he loved me. And guess what the next statement out of his mouth is? Always. But I know he loved me. And I always, I, I don't do this. I kind of want to go, dude, who, who are you trying to convince? No, I don't, I don't know if dad loved you or not. He, he's trying to convince himself because he never heard the words. And if you want to meet an angry guy, uh, Meet a guy who had a physically abusive father, an absent father, uh, a, a not present father, a worker father that was never around. Um, well, there's the root of a lot of your anger uh, for all of us, mm -hmm. right? And we've got to begin to recognize that. Mm -hmm. And I sit with really, really, really nice guys <laughs> that you would never, ever say or believe that they are angry but boy those guys scare me <laughs> mm. because yeah the bodies are buried somewhere uh, mm. that that niceness is more of a cover than it is reality mm. i think as i sit here this morning uh looking out over um our men's group i see a lot of orphans a lot of orphans, um, the fatherless, the emotionally uh, deprivate, the emotional deprivation that we have experienced as men, and it causes us to act out. That makes me angry. Makes me angry, and that's what I'm fighting for. We're fighting for one another. Thirdly, this idea of stranger makes me angry when I see friendless people betrayed, people being abused, children being abused, wives being abused, husbands being abused, the stranger, the friendless, the betrayed, the greatest pain in all the universe, I believe, is betrayal. Because you've given your heart to someone, whether you're a four-year-old or you're an 80-year-old, you've given your heart and then you're betrayed. A loss of innocence. It, it completely scrambles your brain. The Bible calls that a stranger, the friendless, the betrayed. That makes me angry. And then finally, just the poor, those in need, anybody in need. Not, again, literally the poor, uh, you know, those who have um, need of food and clothing, absolutely want to take care of them. But what about just those in need, poor in spirit, as Jesus said? It makes me angry that there are people um, in my office, in my neighborhood, in our circle, 
that need help because the enemy is hunting them and convincing them that they're not worthy of help. Makes me angry. Uh, we often say that, you know, I mean, this idea of anger uh, can really kind of mess with us. Kind of like what, what Phil's talking about with Elamite, right? Just be nice. Don't be angry. Um, I mean, but certainly Jesus said, be angry. I mean, there's things that we need to be angry about. Um, and I think, you know, it's like be angry and sin not. It, probably if we even did a deep dive into the Greek and Hebrew and uh, into that word, uh, I think what Jesus was saying was like, be angry and rage not. You know, many of us don't know the difference between angry, anger, appropriate anger and rage. We got no governor uh, on that emotion, right? And so we'll just, yeah, I'm angry and now I'm just going to rage out, right? It, and it's really, you know, the rage, raging is the destructive part. I mean, why did Jesus tell us to be angry? Anger is one of the, our core emotions. But boy, the rage is where we get into trouble. And rage comes in different forms. Mm. Withdrawing, shutting down, not talking to your wife. Dude, that, is a, that is a covert act of rage because you're putting her into solitary confinement. Mm. Worst form of torture, um, psychological torture for anybody. Mm. Amen. So just before we close in prayer, let's dig in. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, turn over to John chapter 2, all of that in way of introduction. Uh, John chapter 2. Jeff, show the picture uh, before we uh, look at the scripture. This, this scene um, that we're using as kind of our logo for this series is this passage. This is the temple passage. Um, and so in, in many ways, this is the crux of our whole series, Marine Jesus. What's interesting about the Gospel of John is... It, obviously, it's very it's a very different gospel than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, John says at the end of his gospel, he says, you know, there's so many things um, that could be said about this man, Jesus, that volumes could be filled up. That's in chapter 21 of John. You know what John did in his gospel? He gave us 21 days in Jesus's life. 21 days, that's all. Now, if you were trying to capture the uh, story of Jesus, what stories would you tell? I mean, you, you know, you can compare the Gospel of John to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you say, well, John didn't tell us this. Matthew did. Well, well, John didn't tell us this. Luke did. John told us 21 days. 21 days. Isn't that amazing? It's like looking at 21 pictures you know, rather than a three-hour slideshow. You go to somebody's house and they're showing a three-hour slideshow of their family vacation to Gatlinburg. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. <laughs> you know, 21 pictures. And what's so cool about this picture of Jesus is this is, the, is, this is like the second picture that John tells us. This is John chapter two. This is not John chapter 20. Right off the bat, he tells us about fierce intention in Jesus. Keep in mind, before we dig into this passage, that Jesus believed that he truly was behind enemy lines. It's like being dropped off in, a, in, a, in Afghanistan right now. Think about that that you and I would be flown into Afghanistan right now, parachuted down, and now you're behind enemy lines and there's no way out. That's how Jesus started. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation with the uh, disciples and he tells them that he's going to die. And Peter jumps out and says, no, no, I protest. I rebuke you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus, right out of the chute, uh, has to move to Egypt. Um, 
It was like he was a military kid. You know, Joseph uh, uh, has an angel appear to him and says, Herod is out to kill your son, and he moved to Egypt. Someone's hunting your son. In John chapter 7, Jesus avoided going into Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. That's John 7. In John, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus healed a a, a, um, um, a lame man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, the religious guys, plotted of how they could ruin him and kill him. John chapter 10, Jesus had to jump over the Jordan River, escape across the Jordan River. We've got we to get to the other side because they're going to kill me. Jesus was hunted. And you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, have got to realize we're being hunted. So John chapter 2 says this. When the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. Now feel this passage, guys. Close your eyes for a minute. Imagine Jesus walks up to his father. I mean, walk up to your house. You know, walk up to your house. And you would see chaos going on. What would you feel? This is Jesus's father's house. What does he feel? Talk about be angry. So Jesus put together a whip out of stripes of leather. Now again, Jesus doesn't just like blow his top, reacts to the scene that he just seen. He goes behind the curtain, so to speak, and he takes the time, it says, to put together. He didn't, he didn't just go over to the whip stand and, and grab a whip off the stand. He had to make the whip. He's in control. He's not reacting, but he is very intentional. My good friend Steve Bailey made me a knife from a caribou bone as a, um, a gift for our time in Alaska. I so much appreciate that, Steve. That took time for Steve to take the caribou bone, cut it with his bandsaw, put the metal in there, and I have got the sharpest letter opener. <laughs> Don't cut yourself. It's incredible. Be careful. I can, I can open a letter like nobody's business. But Steve took the time to make that. Jesus takes the time, and he chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get your things out of here, exclamation point. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. Then when his disciples remembered the scripture, zeal for your house consumes me, they realized this was another indication that this is a fierce Jesus. This is the Messiah. You know, it's just, it, it's interesting when we just, when we just read the stories of Jesus and we look at how he interacted and the things that he did uh it there's a pretty consistent theme right i mean this is always held up as the example of jesus's anger but it's almost like every encounter that he had not with the broken people i mean he was just so compassionate right he, he loved on them they were hurting they were dying but it was the ones that thought they were perfect and they were good. But if you look at every encounter, it, it wasn't Mamby Pamby sweet Jesus. And it's just amazing to me how that kind of became the norm over church history. It's like 
we get now kind of neutered Jesus, emasculated Jesus. But man, he just was not that. Just read the stories. Mm. So guys, this, this passage is so rich, and I would invite you to meditate through it. Feel your way through this. Jesus's fierce intentionality. And, and I don't have time to go into the Lazarus story, but John 11, again, G, uh, John chose to give us the Lazarus uh, picture. And what's true about that whole passage, that whole episode of Lazarus, is the, the Greek word that's used there when it talks about Jesus having a deep anger is the idea of a snort. It's like a, a war horse. He's upset and he hates the death of his friend, the evil, the sin that brought about the death of Lazarus. He's not mad at uh the one standing around, he is mad at the evil that would bring about the death of his friend. Guys, this Jesus that we see in Scripture is not the helpless vegetarian Jesus, the pacifist Jesus, the tranquil Jesus. He is a warrior. He is fiercely intentional. What are you fiercely intentional about? I hope it's walking with Jesus and getting your daily marching orders daily. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us a picture of Jesus that inspires us that uh, affirms us in our uh, masculinity and teaches us much more clearly and as a model how to fight for and not fight with those that we love and those that you love. Help us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.